Well, the ushers are going to come by, and uh, again, if we haven't met, my name is Benjur, and this is a really interesting week, not just because it's the last day of 2017, but if you were around Flourishing Grace for December, uh, you know that in the weeks leading up to Christmas, um, we walked through kind of the Gospel of Luke, or the first part of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote one of the biographies of Jesus that we find in the New Testament, and and we kind of just looked at what the events leading up to the birth of Jesus looked like. And then last week, of course, we celebrated the birth of Jesus. Coming up next week, we're going to jump back into the Gospel of Luke. And if you are new to faith, or you're new to church, or you're just coming back, um, I invite you to be around for the next three months or so, because we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, as Luke tells us. And, And the reason why it's really cool, especially if you're new to faith, it's great for all of us. But As a pastor that I used to work with once said, if you want to know what God is like, look at what Jesus did. Look at who Jesus loved. Look at what he said. And so I hope you'll join us for the next three months starting next week. You don't want to miss out on that. But today, we're kind of in the in-between time, right? And I think it's really appropriate because this is kind of the time of year when we look backwards and we look forwards at the same time. And many of us are asking a specific question, and that question is just two words. Now what? The thing about that, even though it's a simple question, we can ask it in so many different ways. Maybe it was a great Christmas for you. Maybe you love Christmas. Maybe you're just like, man, I wish we could do that 12 months out of the year. You love Christmas songs. Maybe it was a great 2017, and things are just going well. And you're walking into 2018, and you're asking, now what? You're excited. Maybe it wasn't a great holiday season for you. Maybe for you, Christmas brings conflict. Maybe it was a difficult year. Maybe it's been a difficult string of years, and as you enter a new year, it's not celebrating. It's kind of sarcastic. You're like, now what? It's going to happen now. Maybe at the beginning of 2017, there was somebody who was with you that's, that's no longer here at the end of 2017. Maybe it's a broken relationship, or maybe somebody that you loved passed away. You're lost. You don't know what to do. The future is uncertain. It's kind of like, now what? (laughs) Just lost. I think it's fitting that today we're going to be looking at a story that happened thousands of years before Jesus. And we're going to be walking through a story that happened to a guy named Abraham who actually asked this question, now what? But the the thing is, he asked it to God. And he comes to a certain point in his life where he comes face to face with God and he says, God, what am I supposed to do now? So as we jump into this story, we're going to be um, in chapter 15 in Genesis. It's the the first book in the Bible. But to get a little bit of background on Abraham, we're actually going to go back a few chapters to Genesis Genesis 12 when he kind of jumps on the scene. So we're going to be in Genesis 12. It's the first book of the Bible. You can open up your Bibles. If you've got a Bible app, you can open that up. If you don't have a Bible or you forgot one, uh, you can reach underneath your seat. There should be a white Bible there. We'll be on page 5 in the white Bible. If you don't got one at home and you really would like a Bible, you're welcome to take that one with you, write your name in it, and use that one. But we're going to be in uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, and, and just a quick note, we know Abram is Abraham because at the start of, of, of the life of Abraham, his name was Abram, which means exalted father. But as we'll, as we'll see, for reasons that we'll see today, later on in Abram's life, 
His name is changed by God to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, all right? Now, I I'm kind of had way too many Christmas cookies, so to keep it you know, not so confusing for me, I'm going to refer to him as Abraham. Uh, in the text, it's Abram, and, and I'll say that in the text, but as we're telling the story, I'll refer to it as Abraham. I hope he's not too offended by that. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham kind of jumps on the scene here. He's actually about 75 years old. We only know a little bit about his ancestors, his dad, you know, kind of his, his, those who came before him. But we don't really know all that happened in Abraham's life up until this point. But what we do know is this, is that when Abraham jumps on the scene, when we, when we see him kind of for the first time and we meet him face to face, God gives him a promise. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. That's a pretty cool promise. But, but the thing is, is that if, if you're going to be a great nation, if, if from you is going to be a great nation, two things come in really handy. You need at least one of them, but both of them are really, really nice. The first one is a well-connected family, which Abraham certainly had. The thing is, God says, hey, you know that well-connected family? Um, I want you to leave that well-connected family. I want you to leave the land that you know. I want you to leave the land where, where there's actually uh, people know who Abraham is, who people know who your father is, where people know who your family is, and you have some influence, and I want you to leave that land and go to a land where you have no influence. The second thing that comes in really handy is, is maybe you don't have a lot of influence, but you can have a lot of kids, right? Maybe you can you know, begin to... Um, have kids, and, and you become a ruler, and, and your kids have kids, and you gain some influence in whatever land, and your family eventually becomes a nation. That could happen too, right? Problem is, for Abraham, he didn't have either of those things, right? God is taking him away from the land that he knows, and at this point, at 75 years old, he doesn't have any kids. Now, they didn't know a lot about reproductive biology. However, what they did know is that if you've been having, trying to have kids up until the point that you're 75 years old, the chances that you're going to have kids after 75, if it hasn't happened by then, are pretty slim. But Abraham goes. He goes to Canaan. And over the next 10 years, and in and, and Genesis is the next three chapters, over the next 10 years or so, a lot happens, right? Abraham eventually encounters a famine in Canaan. And so he's got to go to Egypt. And when he goes to Egypt, he looks at his wife. And, and even though they're both up there a little bit in years, he looks at his wife and realizes his wife is beautiful. And if people want his wife, what they're going to do is they're going to off him, kind of get him out of the picture. And so he says, okay, for our own safety, okay, Sarah, his wife is Sarah, for our own safety, I'm going to pretend like you're my sister. Okay, sound good to you? Now, guys, just kind of an aside, not a good idea. Okay, in case you're wondering, no, not a Valentine's Day present. No, just, just no. But Abraham thought it was a good idea. And, there, and a lot happens in Egypt, and the famine ends, and they, they leave Egypt. And then Abraham kind of gets into a dispute with his nephew. They'd kind of been business partners, but then there's a little bit of a dispute, so they, they separate their ways. And then later on, his nephew Lot gets into trouble. So he says, okay, even though we had this dispute, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to help Lot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save him. And, and, and all this happens over the course of 10 years. It is an action-packed 10 years of Abraham's life. But do you know what hasn't happened for Abraham and Sarah during those 10 years? No kids. No kids. And it's at this point that we'll see, <laughs> Abraham's like, now what? What am I supposed to do? 
And kind of maybe sensing that, I don't know, God appears to Abraham. And then so chapter 15, page 6 in your white Bibles, chapter 15, verse 1, says that after these things, after these 10 years or so, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I'm your protection. And your reward will be very great. Now, I love this exchange in in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite exchanges between a human and God in the Bible. And after the day, it might be yours as well. And I might be reading into this a little bit. I recognize that. But the tone I kind of picture that Abraham has is when I'm on, on hold with a customer service agent, right? And, and I'm trying to get something done. And I've been on hold. And five minutes turns into 10 minutes, turns into 15 minutes. And I'm not quite angry yet because I still want something out of this person. And I still want this to go my way. But I'm a little frustrated. And it, it shows up in my tone, right? I, I kind of picture Abraham's tone in this way, all right? Verse 2, he says, Abraham says, Oh, Lord God. Well, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He says a servant is going to inherit everything I have because I have no kids. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Essentially, God shows up, and Abraham says, Oh, hey, God, great to see you. It's been 10 years or so. Yeah, nice that you're back. Hey, listen, you remember that promise 10 years ago? Remember that? uh, Since then, I've had zero children. Did you notice? It's kind of salty, right? And and, and before we move on, we'll we'll see later that Abraham Abraham still trusts in God. And he he still, despite all of this, continues to believe God. And so what I love about this picture is this, and maybe this is why you're here. This is just for you this morning. Arguing with God and faith are not incompatible. All right? Maybe you thought that you've got you've to talk to God in certain tones and certain words and these and thous, and you can't really express your true emotions. Apparently, because God doesn't wipe Abraham off the face of the earth, arguing with God and faith are not incompatible. So, verse 4. What happens after that? Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able. Now, the sky that Abraham was looking at was better than any dark sky that we could possibly look at. There was no light pollution. So he saw every single star that was possible to be seen by the human eye. Count them if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now here we got to pause. Because even though this is kind of an obscure story that maybe we've never heard before, and believe me, uh, it gets weird from here on out. Let me just warn you there. But if you've been around church at all, you recognize this verse, because it's used in the New Testament as a picture of what faith looks like, of what it means to be, be, be saved, what it looks like to be made right with God. Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Not, hey, Abraham, great job in this one area. Hey, you're trusting me in this one, great job. No, in regards to the whole law of God, God says, hey, Abraham, because you believe me, you are righteous. Now, what's interesting is we know Abraham's resume. Like we've already talked a little bit about how when he went to Egypt, he said, hey, I'm a little scared for my life. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And Sarah, we're going to pretend like you're my sister and, and see if that helps us survive. You'd think he would learn his lesson. He actually did that a second time. 
And then the, the chapter right after this one, after this problem, and God says, I mean, listen, you're going to have offspring. This is, this is going to happen. Sarah says, listen, I'm not sure this is going to happen through me because maybe the issue is with me. Hey, Abraham, I got an idea. Why don't you sleep with my servant and see if you can have kids with her? And Abraham says, sounds like a plan to me. Sounds like a good plan. And then when eventually they do have kids, he and this servant, when, they, when the kid gets older and is a teenager, Abraham takes zero responsibility for this kid. He's a deadbeat dad. Abraham's resume is not squeaky clean. And yet God says, in regards to the whole law, Abraham is righteous. Because of what he did? No. We know what Abraham did. It tells us because he believed God. God credited it to him as righteousness. Now, we're going to come back to this idea of what it means to trust in God. Because if you're smart, and I know you are, at this point you're asking, okay, so what does it even mean to believe God? We'll come back to that. What happens next gets a little weird, like I said. Verse 7. So he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you to the land, the land, this land to possess. Okay, God, Abraham, I made this promise to you, God says. And I love this. Abraham's still pushing back. I, I love this. Remember, so, so Abraham trusts God fully. This is a picture of faith we're supposed to emulate. And still, Abraham's pushing back. God, I still don't see it. Based on what I see in front of me, this ain't going to happen. Verse 8. How am I to know that I shall possess it? God, you got to give me a little bit more in your word here. So God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Like, what is going on here? Well, Abraham knew exactly what was going on. When God told him to get some animals, Abraham said, okay, I know what we're going to do here. You see, in Abraham's day, if you wanted to make a legally binding agreement with somebody, you didn't hire a lawyer, have them write up a contract, both people sign it, and notarize it. No, you went through a ceremony. What you would do is you would cut up some animals, and usually you'd put them on, on either side of a walkway. You'd make the agreement with one another, and, and you'd, you'd, you'd kind of make sure everybody was clear on what the agreement was, and then you'd walk through the animals together. In essence, saying, if I don't hold up my end of the agreement, may I be cursed, may I become like these animals. May the same thing happen to me as these animals who were cut up. And so Abraham says, okay, we're going to have a covenant, we're going to have an agreement, kind of weird to do it with God, but you know, we're, we're going to get this done. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful great darkness fell upon him. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. As part of this promise, God says to Abraham, it's going to be trouble. It's not going to work out the way that you would write it, Abraham. But, God says, I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve. Right? He's foreshadowing the Israelites being in slavery in Egypt. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. This isn't going to happen in your lifetime. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's some other things that need to happen. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
signifying the presence of God. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. It's a very specific covenant. All this land that all these other peoples possess, this will be yours. I will make of you a great nation. And the pot and the fire signifying the presence of God goes through the covenant. Now this is not what Abraham expected at all. And you see, usually two parties would go through the agreement together. Sometimes only one party would go through. But in those instances, usually it was because uh, it, it was when a kingdom overtook another kingdom, maybe went to battle, they went to battle together, and one kingdom won. And so sometimes what would happen is the king of the victorious uh, nation would, would have the leader of the, the one that was going to be oppressed, the one that was, that was lost in the battle. And, and if this agreement was going on, the one that was lost in the battle would actually be the only one to walk through the agreement, in essence saying, hey, listen, if you pay me, if you pay me all these taxes, if you give me this money and you never rebel against me, then everything's going to be fine for you. But you're going to walk through this agreement because if you ever rebel, you will become like these animals. The only time one party ever went through this is when there's a huge power differential and the, the mighty one would make the lesser kingdom, the lesser leader, go through the agreement. That's not what happens here. God the one in charge walks through the agreement. There's a couple of things at play here. First of all, what this tells us is that this was an unconditional agreement that God was making, an unconditional covenant. There were no ifs. There was no, Abraham, if you do this, if you do that, make sure you do these five things, then I'm going to come through. No, God says, I alone am taking responsibility for this promise. It shows, first of all, how serious God was about the promise he made to Abraham. It shows how seriously he took this covenant. Because when we read the whole of the Bible, it wasn't just for Abraham's sake that he was doing this. It wasn't just for Israel's sake that was doing this, the nation that would eventually come out of Abraham. But when you read the whole of the Bible, this covenant was eventually fulfilled through Jesus. Because for those of us who are in Jesus, we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. Second thing that, that's in play here, and, 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 and some people think that the reason why God went through this agreement, in essence saying, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, these curses will be upon me, is because eventually, in order for this agreement to work, a curse would eventually be on God in Jesus. Because the baby that we celebrated, his birth that we celebrated last week, didn't come just to teach. He didn't come just to show us what God was like, but he came to die. And eventually he would be cursed, hung on a cross for you and for me. God says, I am taking full, 100% responsibility for this covenant. Now in essence, the big idea, what we get out of this, this chapter, what God is, is, is communicating through this ceremony, and, and, and because of that, through this word to us, is that God can be trusted to fulfill his promises. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. 
And this is where we come back around to this idea of trust, especially if we are standing in a place here at the beginning, at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, where we look at God and we say, now what? Just like Abraham did, what am I supposed to do now? And the thing about this is, is that when we hear something like God is faithful to fulfill his promises, usually when we hear a statement like that, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, but, but maybe it's just me. My tendency is to put the emphasis on the, the promises part. God, tell me what you're going to do. God, tell me what I'm going to get out of this. And really, there's nothing wrong with that, because if God makes a promise, he will fulfill it, and he makes it for a reason. But Abraham saw it the other way around. Instead of putting the emphasis on the promises part, Abraham put the emphasis on the God is faithful. Because when Abraham looked at the circumstances, he said, I'm 85, 86 years old at this point. God has said, all of this is going to happen. I don't see how it's possible. But God still, I trust you. See, there's a difference between believing that God will do something and just simply doing what Abraham did, which was to believe God. Now, there's nothing wrong with believing that God will do something, because when God makes a promise, he will fulfill it. The promises that we find in Scripture are true. God will never leave you or forsake you. If you are in Christ Jesus, God will work all things together for the good of those who love him, even the difficult, nasty, terrible things in life. If you are in Christ Jesus, you will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those promises are true. So there's nothing wrong with believing that God will do something. What God calls us to in this story is to do what Abraham did. Go one step further and just simply believe God. And that's harder. When you think about it, Abraham had no choice. When he looked at his circumstances, he said, I don't know how God can make any good come out of this mess. Maybe he thought at some point in time he heard God wrong. You ever, you ever feel that way? God, maybe I just heard you wrong. I thought we were supposed to do this, but maybe I heard you wrong. At this point, I'm sure Sarah thinks he's crazy, right? But Abraham looks at all of that, and he believes God. Now, I understand that this is a very unsatisfying picture of faith for many of us. Because if you're like me, when I, when I read a story like Abraham's, what I'm doing is I'm looking for the key, right? Like, I want to know, what did Abraham do what kind of faith did he have? What kind of prayers did he pray? What kind of actions did he take part in in order to make this come about? Because we know eventually Abraham did have kids many years later. And eventually there was a nation called Israel that was started by a descendant of Abraham. And eventually we, those of us who are in Jesus became spiritual descendants of Abraham. The problem with looking at this story and saying, what's the key? What does Abraham do? How do I do that? Is it makes Abraham the hero and not God. And it turns faith into a formula. And faith is not a formula. It is not something where we input the right buttons, we do the right things, we, we attend the right things, we read the right things, we do enough prayer, we do enough small groups, and eventually we will get what we want. No, that's, that's not faith, that's manipulation. What Abraham does is he just simply looks at the circumstances that seem impossible. Say, honestly, I don't think God's going to come through, but I've got no one else to trust, and he puts his life into God's hands. And that's difficult, because that's like stepping out 
into the abyss. There's a difference between believing that God will do something simply believing God. And if you are here just kind of kicking the tires and you're not sure about this whole faith thing, or maybe you've come back to church or you're exploring this again after a while, I understand this sounds like kind of a hocus-pocus version of faith. Okay, just believe in this, this being that we can't see and just trust him with our life no matter what. Okay. Thanks for the coffee. At least you guys got good coffee, but I'm out of here. Because maybe at some point in time in your life, faith was treated like a formula. It was presented to you as this kind of thing where if you do the right things, if you perform the right actions, if you mark the things off the list, if you give the right amount, if you pray the right prayers, if you stay away from the don'ts list and you do the thing that's on the do's list, if you do all of this perfectly, then God will answer your prayers. Then God will love you. Then things will work out the way that you hope they will work out. And if they don't work out the way that you hope they will work out, it must be operator error. Something wrong with you. Listen, if that's you, if that's the boat you find yourself in, do me a favor. Don't allow how somebody misrepresented this idea of trust or faith in God dictate whether or not you trust him in the future. I understand you may not be there yet, and I'm glad you're here, and I hope you stick with us over the next three months and examine who Jesus is and find out what God is like by looking at the life of Jesus. Don't let how faith was misrepresented to you dictate whether or not you trust God in the future because you saw right through that. You're smarter than that. Faith is not a formula. Now, the difficulty with this, of course, is that this kind of faith is detached from any kind of its or buts, right? When we trust somebody, we trust them if they continue to do something. Even in our closest relationships, if somebody stops holding up their end of the deal, we will stop trusting them. We will stop believing them. There's a lot of ifs in human relationships attached to this idea of trust. So again... What we are called to today is to step out into the abyss, which I know, I know is hard. I know is hard. Here's the thing that, that I know about you and me. We're all from different circumstances, different backgrounds. Some of us are followers of Jesus. Some of us are skeptics in here. Some of us are here just to please somebody. Maybe somebody cute invited you. Different backgrounds, different beliefs. But you know what? At a certain point in time in our lives, Maybe it's already happened to you. Maybe, maybe it's on the horizon. We will be in a situation where it doesn't feel like there's any promise that could possibly apply to us from God that would make any situation work out. It's one thing to, to pray while somebody's in the hospital or after there's a diagnosis. How do you trust God after the funeral? It's one thing to pray when there's rumors of layoffs. It's one thing to pray when things aren't going well at work. It's one thing to pray when, when you're not sure how school is going to work out. What do you do after the bank takes the house? See, all of us will find ourselves in a situation where we're not even sure that God can do anything. And this is the point where Abraham found himself. Make no mistake about it. 
It's so easy to look back and say, yeah, Abraham, was, he trusted God. Yeah, there was all these things, but, but he was a great guy. Yes, his trust is something to be commended, but at this point in his life, he had nothing to hold on to but God. Maybe that's the, the place where you find yourself today. When we trust God, what it looks like is instead of just believing that God will do something, nothing wrong with that, but to believe God, take our life, our hopes, our circumstances, the outcomes that we want to have happen, and instead of dictating what we want God to do with all those, we pick them up and we hand them to God. This is what Abraham did. Is he perfect? No. Next chapter, he takes it all back. Sure, I'll sleep with your servant, Sarah. We'll see if she can have some kids. Abraham was not perfect in his trust. But when he trusted God, he trusted God with everything he had. Imagine if going forward, this was, this was something that we aspired to. If you're a follower of Jesus, what this looks like, and it's so hard because you are facing circumstances in your life right now as you look forward that are so uncertain. And you have ways that you hope they will go. And God wants to hear those prayers. And it may be that God answers those prayers. But to trust God the way Abraham did is to say, God, you know what I desire. You know what I hope will happen. I know you're a good father. I know you give good gifts. All of this together. But ultimately, God, I hand them to you. I hand them to you. Imagine if that's how you walked into 2018. I, it's not going to change your circumstances. It may not make anything visibly better. But there's nobody to trust more than God with our lives. And the reason why we know that is because God himself came to earth and traded his life for yours. One thing just to talk. When somebody gives their life for yours, <laughs> that's worthy of our trust. And if you're not a father of Jesus, Stick with us. Even Abraham, who, who is venerated in the New Testament, saying, hey, here's a great picture of faith. Even Abraham took back that trust, wasn't sure what it was about, wasn't sure if he could really trust God. So if you're just kicking the tires, you're not sure if you're all in, you're not sure what to do next, you're in the right place. Stick with us for the next three months and gain a bigger picture of who God is. It may be, it may be, that the picture of God, the picture of faith that you were presented with, what it means to trust God, is different than what we actually find in the life of Jesus and who God is. Because when we trust God with everything we have, it's difficult. It doesn't make everything easy. But we find, as Abraham did, there is no safer place to put our trust. Let me pray for you. God, I've talked about this for the last 30 or 35 minutes, and yet you know my heart. You know how few times in my life that I, I can really say 
that I've gone beyond believing that you'll do something and just believing you. And so, God, forgive me. When I, when I trust you and then pull it back just like Abraham did, God, forgive me. God, take my circumstances, take my dreams, my hopes, my future, my family, everything I have. God, I hand it to you. And for, for those of us in this room, for those who are followers of Jesus, God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are worthy of our trust, that you are worthy of our faith, of, of, of just simply believing you. God, for those who were just kicking the tires and trying to figure out if this whole thing is real or if it's worth our time, God, I pray that today you would just give one glimpse of who you are and that you would draw us to yourself. Even if we're not there yet today, that you would bring us to a point where we say, I've got nothing else. So God, I put my trust in you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for not just staying far off and saying, hey, trust me from a distance, but coming to earth to rescue us, giving your son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. And we pray these things in his name.